Let's turn together now to the first letter of Peter and chapter 1 and reading at verse 13. First Peter 1 and at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, and so on. As we move on in this letter, and as we come to verse number 13, in doing so, we come to a step forward in the way in which the letter is written by Peter. And we have noticed the way in which from verse 3 to verse 12 he has introduced what he is going to say to them, and he has done so by reminding them what God has done for them. And it was important for him to do that, as it is always important for ourselves, for us to understand what God has made us as those who are the children of God, and to understand that we are what we are because of his saving grace. And when we come to verse 13, there is a sense in which when God tells us who we are, then he comes to remind us what our responsibilities are. And that's the very nature of being the children of God, being Christians, that God tells us who we are, then he tells us that we have a responsibility to live that out in life. And we could look at it and say, here is what God has done, and this is now what you have to do. But if we think of it slightly differently, and think of this is what God has done for you, and this is now what God is going to do with you. And there is that sense of we working out our salvation and living as the people of God, but always doing so, perhaps only because God is with us. And God continues to work. He lays a responsibility upon us, but at the same time, he is with us to enable us to fulfill what he does require. And if we carry that idea with us as we go into these verses, we will see something of, of that in what Peter is saying to his readers in this section. And so, when we come to verse 13, he wants their lives to correspond to be what they are as the children of God. And I want us to think of these verses and to do so under the title, The Christian's Defining Marks and Influences. And I'm using marks and influences because the marks are there as a result of the influences of God, and they work together. But there are no Christian characteristics or marks in our lives that tell that we are Christians without the external influence of God upon our lives. So it's the Christians defining marks and influences. First of all, I want us to see that there is direction. And we have direction for the people of God in the light of their discipline. And there is no dynamic or power or going forward as the people of God without 
discipline. That is the discipline that we have on hearts, on our minds, and upon our lives. And that's how this section begins. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Sometimes in translation, we lose the picture that the original language had for us. When we read in the AV, when we read the words, geared up the loins of your minds, it gives us the picture that Peter had. And the picture about preparing is exactly that. It's binding up the long garment. As was the custom in the days in which Peter was writing, it was customary for everyone to wear long garments. They wore them socially, they wear them in their everyday activities and their fellowship together. But when it came to doing some work or some activity, they would pull up their outer garment and they would bind their outer garment with a belt around their waist. Because the person who tries to engage in any kind of activity or in any work with a long garment is not going to get very far. And so preparing your minds for action is Pull up your outer garment and tie it under your belt. An image that came to mind when thinking of, of the children is, is the whole picture that we have on the school sports day. And it's a great day for activities and for competitions and for prizes. And one of the fun things about sports day is the sack race. If I want somebody to run a marathon or to run a 100-meter sprint, then they're not going to do it with a sack around their legs and wrapped around them. The sack race is a fun race, and you struggle to stay standing in it, let alone completed. And that conveys something of the, the picture that Peter has here. Get rid of the sack because this is not a sack race. Tidy up your clothes and be sober-minded. And it all comes down to the way in which we are thinking. When he is saying to them that they are to prepare their minds for action, it's that process of judgment that we all go through, weighing things up, seeing options and seeing opportunities, and comparing these options and opportunities with, with the right choice for me and the right thing for me to do or the right thing for other people to do or the right thing especially in the light of the word of God. And so he wants them to gird up the laws, the, the, the clothes of their minds, the long garments of the minds in such a way as to have them to be clear thinkers. And clear thinking makes such a difference in the way that we live life. So much confusion around us in the day in which we live and so much clever thinking. But there seems to be so little clear thinking and so few answers. So Peter is praying for his readers and asking his readers to prepare their minds so that they are clear thinkers so that they are sober-minded. And of course, that 
means basically in the first place that they are not to be given over to drunkenness because that brings about its own confusion. But especially he's thinking of the way in which they are to derive being sober from their relationship with God and from their knowledge of God. It's something that comes from the way in which they engage with God so that being sober-minded, they have a proper approach to God. They, they, They deliberately avoid the things that offend God. And so in that way, they are in a place where they are pleasing to God. And it's so important for us to to go through that process. When you think of the direction of the children of God, that we are engaging with the things that we are ourselves, the things that we need to tidy up in our lives, and engaging with God in such a way that we will have clear judgments and a clarity of thinking that will enable us to make the right choices. And when Peter was writing these words, he was fully aware that his readers in Turkey, in Asia Minor, that they were exposed to so many things in their exile and so many things in their way of life that threatened every day to dull the reality of God. And how quickly that can happen to us. In a moment, we can be filled with a sense of the presence of God and something will happen, something will influence, something will touch your thinking and all of a sudden that reality of God is dulled. And as one of the writers said, through that whole process, we're anaesthetized to, to the very approach of God and to all that, that, that God is in his attraction and in his beauty. It's like injecting ourselves with something that completely dulls our thinking and takes away from us the full reality of the presence of God. And today we, we, we can ask ourselves, how much are we so aware of the real presence of God. How much in our thinking did we come here today and sense that, that God was putting his hand on our minds and bringing us to that place where all of our thinking and our walking and our living is under his microscope and instead of being injected by the things of the world which dull and anaesthetize that our lives are being injected with the influence of God and the presence of God in such a way that here we are and we're alert to the very thing that God wants us to hear. And you will know right now if that is the case, you will know right now how much that is the case. And you will know if that is not the case at all. There is a discipline that's absolutely essential. And without that discipline, we shouldn't expect anything from God. Although 
God, in his mercy at times, overcomes our lack of discipline. And in his mercy comes to reach us. There must be that discipline. And once that discipline is in place, Peter is saying, then we have direction. We're not walking around aimlessly, not where we are, not knowing where we are going. But he says, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your hope, the hope that speaks once more of our, of our inner experience and of our expectation of God and our expectation of the word of God and of the promises of God. And Peter has, has laid these promises out quite clearly in verses 3 to 12 with regard to his readers. And especially coming to building up to, to the place where, where in verse number 8 and 9, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There is the hope. There is the hope of the grace that will be brought to them. And as surely as it is true that, that the people of God have this hope because of the grace of God, we can say that the people of God who have grace in their hearts, they look for grace at the end. And that whole sense of looking for more of what they already have is what gives living direction and also a living powerful dynamic to the lives lived here in this world. And it's setting your hope fully. Nothing held in reserve. Nothing to hold back. It's letting go and resting in the promises of God and in all that is going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is going to bring us into that day by his grace. And he is bringing us to that day by his grace so that he will bring to us the grace that brings us to glory. And so that in that marvelous encounter, all of the promises that God has spoken to us, that they are fully realized. And there, the movement that has taken them from being outside of Christ and without a savior and to become exiles in the world, that movement will at last take them into that final place of glory. The grace brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The writer to the Hebrews in one of his warning passages says to his readers, see to it that none of you fails to obtain the grace of God. Why is Peter writing these words? Why is the writer to, of the Hebrews, why is he making that statement? Because he wants to have them on the alert. He wants to have them living 
a lively faith and a, a lively hope, rejoicing with joy inexpressible that's filled with glory going forward, no matter what. And it's the nature of the direction and the dynamic of hope in the lives of the children of God that it overcomes every resistance. We read about Abraham that he, in hope, believed against hope. He had two things in front of him. And one of them was the promise of God. The promise that he would have a son who would be an heir and that God would bless the nations of the world and subsequent generations. He had that promise, a wonderful promise that's for us and that reaches us here today. But on the other hand, he had the massive human situation of his wife Sarah where it was impossible for the promise of God to be fulfilled. And against that hope, against the unlikeliness of the promise of God being fulfilled, humanly speaking, in hope, he believed. And Peter, in writing these words, was well aware that those to whom he was writing would find themselves in circumstances where they would feel as Abraham did, that their situation was impossible, and that what God had said he would do for them, it could not happen because X and Y had taken place. And it is true, I think, to say of all of us at some point in life that we are face to face with that. We come so far and we come to a place and what God has done, what has happened, where we are, seems to make the next step an impossibility. And that's where you have to hope fully on the grace that will be brought. That the direction and the dynamic is such a, a powerful movement in the hearts of the people of God that they overcome, they persevere, that they go on to the very end. The direction, the fulfillment of the promises of God is an influence on where, we're, where we are today it's our inspiration. It gives us energy and it keeps us going in the right direction and helps us to live the straight line that we're now going to consider, the direction. Secondly, then we have the distinction. They are exiles in Asia Minor. They feel out of place. They want to know why they are there, what they are doing there. And Peter has explained that to them theologically in the, in the first section of this chapter. But now he wants them to understand why they are like that and how they are going to be like that through what they are going to do and what God is going to do with them. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former 
ignorance. The distinctive is a family one. We see families and families are distinctive. They have their own distinctives. And God's family is the same. And Peter is drawing on what he has said to them before in verse 3, that they were born again to a living hope, that God has caused that. Now he reminds them that they are children, that they are born into this kingdom. And as obedient children, as those who are going to hear what their father says and going to put it into practice, It's exactly what God expected of the children of Israel. He reminds us that he is going to call his son Israel out of Egypt. And then he says to them in Exodus chapter number 19 that if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession. You will be my my special children, my son, my, my family that I've taken out of Egypt. The expectation, as we have in the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. We expect nothing less in God's family. The people to whom Peter was writing, they could see that that was the expectation in the culture and the society in which they lived themselves. The Romans were emphatic on on the way in which children grow up obeying their parents and thereby being the character of the family and the way that they, that they lived their lives. They were to be distinct from, from other families. And here that distinction is going to be through their disconnection from the society in which they lived. So it's difficult to to emphasize that and to to say that and to put that into practice, that the gospel is counter-cultural and that if we are going to observe the teaching and the commands as well as embrace the whole theology of, of Christ Jesus crucified and all that flows from that, then it does mean we are going to go against our culture. And Peter is saying to them, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. The time has come when that should no longer happen. And we we could say that he he is saying, do not any longer be conformed. There is the the danger that they are slipping back into that because sometimes it's easier to conform than to be distinct. But they are not to fall back into the passions of their former ignorance. It's their ungodliness and and passions is is the picture of of the way in which our hearts kind of bubble over with with longings that, that sometimes are right if they're in the right place. But mostly in the Bible they are things that are wrong. And our hearts bubble over longing for the things that God has said we shouldn't have and we can't have. And they have been rescued from that kind of living. 
And he is now saying to them, don't be conformed to that any longer. And we have to put that in the history of the people of God and to remind ourselves that that was a necessary precondition to the blessing of God. So that today, if, if I'm a child of God, if I'm a Christian believer, if I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am conforming to the world and living my life in accordance with that, then blessing from God I should not expect because of the way in which he deals with his people and speaks into their lives. If you rebel, I will bring my judgment upon you. You will stir up my wrath and there will be no blessing. And we see that fluctuation in the lives of the children of God in the Old Testament. Conformity to the world means no blessing from God. And you may ask yourself, as I must ask myself today, where is the blessing of God? Is my heart filled with a sense of the blessing of God? And if it is, if it is not, what has happened in my life that has caused, that has brought that about? Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Instead of that, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Here is the distinction. He who called you is holy. Paul says in Ephesians 5, be imitators of God. What kind of challenge is that? It's similar to what Peter is saying here. You, sh you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that's the, these are the words that we saw in Leviticus chapter 19, where, where the God who is holy in his person, the God who is holy in his works, the God who is completely separate from us, without spot, without blemish, he is completely and utterly holy in all of his being. And in that sense, he is above us, not only because he is infinite, but he is above us and separate from us because he is holy and his name is holy. And we, because we are his children, are going to be holy. And there are two ways in which we are going to see that happening. It's going to happen, first of all, that the holiness of God is going to be seen in our lives through the words of God and through our obedience to the commands of God and, and to his laws. And the more we, we walk in God's commands, the more we are being holy as he is holy. We are separated to him and for him, and we are walking with him. And so there is that sense of holiness that comes from our observance of the commands of God and the laws that he has given to us. But there is also the holiness that comes from being with God, from the very presence of God, from walking with God. 
we have heard it said about the people of God on some occasions that the presence of God was with this person without them saying anything. And why was that? It was because they were with God and they were holy like God was holy. The, the presence, the holiness of God came through their personality, came through their very presence because God was with them and they were with God. That influence of the presence of God is the key to personal holiness. Because you and I are not going to be holy by observing the commands and the laws that God has given to us. They are necessary for us to, to shape our lives and to keep us walking in the, within the boundaries of the word of God. But our holiness comes from being with God and God being with us. And yes, we have the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts, but we walk in communion with God. And that brings about the transformation, brings about the holiness. And when God says, you shall be holy, for I am holy, it's not a command, it's a statement of fact that you shall be holy, because I am holy. And if you are walking with me, holy you shall be. The distinction. How much today can we be encouraged? How much are we challenged by what Peter is saying to his hearers with regard to how their lives must be separate? As John says in the context of, of hope, as John says in 1 John 3, he that has this hope within himself purifies himself as he is pure, that is, as God is pure. And he does not continue sinning because the seed of God abides in him. The distinction, it's there by necessity, it's there because of the very fact that the Christian believer is the child of God. Distinction. And finally, and much more briefly, there is deterrent. Do we need a deterrent? Do we need something that creates within us a fear of a certain outcome that will prevent us from behavior that is undesirable socially or spiritually, do we need a deterrent? It seems to me that Peter is saying that it is helpful to have that. Because he says in verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile if you call on him as father, the child of God, the spirit of adoption, calling, reaching out to God as father. He's the father who judges impartially. Peter introduces the whole idea of God as judge of the people of God here in this letter to alert people 
of their need to take care and to be on their guard. He judges impartially. Doesn't matter how we look, doesn't matter who we are, doesn't matter where we have come from. God judges on what we have done. As, as Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive according to what we have done here in the body in this world, whether it is good or evil. And because that is the case, conduct yourselves. Live your lives. Go around the place, wherever you, you go. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. That fear, yes, that can be there, as the fear that arises because of an anticipation of evil. But there is the fear that we can have that fills us with reverence and awe. And that gives to us that sense of fear that reaches out to God in our worship and in our behavior. It's a fear that does shape our lives. The fear of offending God. The deterrent of the judgment of God. How we need to live our lives bearing that in mind. That we should fear, says the writer of the Hebrews again, that we should fear having a promise of entering into his rest still standing. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to fail to reach it. The danger that we will not make it there. And the whole idea of, of, of this deterrent, if we read our, as we, con, as we conclude, as we read our confession of faith in chapter number 14 and paragraph 2 on the work of saving faith, it's, it says this, By this faith, acting differently upon that which each particular passage of Scripture thereof contains, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. We close today on the note of our need to fear because we have the promises and we have the provision of God in the gospel and we are called upon to persevere in our hope. And the danger is there for each and every one of us that we will fail to reach because of the fear and dread of, of other things substituting the fear of God in our lives. May God help us to live our lives with the influences that come from him to give to us the direction, the distinction, and to have that deterrent in our minds every day that we may safely reach that haven of this eternal paradise and glory. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we bow before you and pray you to bless your word to us. How, how we need your word to penetrate our whole beings, our minds, our affections, our emotions, to 
reach to the depths of our will and all of our decision-making so that we may live as the obedient children of God and by our living and by our behavior show that we belong to you and that we do not belong to this world in its lostness and in its confusion and indeed in its ungodliness. Help us, we pray, and hear us and bless your word, for we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.